Hi, this is Jim. Welcome to another episode of Kitchen Table Adulting. Today we have a special guest, Licia Knudsen. Hi, Licia. Hello. And uh, we we are going to have uh, an interesting conversation today. Licia has written a book called Life in the Foster Lane, and she has years of experience working with um, some foster kids as well as what what we have mutually agreed to call the underparented population. So with that, um, and just to set expectations for the audience, you may not come from this kind of background, and that's okay, but you may encounter somebody who was in foster care or did not grow up with the best parents and get the right guidance to become a competent and functioning adult. That was actually the inspiration for this podcast. So I think there's something in here for everyone. So Alicia, to get us started today, can you tell the audience how you got involved with foster care and the underparented youth? Yes. Um, I have always had a heart and a passion for the high risk youth, as some people say, or as you termed underparented. Um, the kids basically that nobody else wants to deal with, I love them. And one of the things that I've always wanted to do was to open up homes for youth, um, those who are in foster care. That's really was my big goal. And since during that time, you know, housing, buying homes is pretty expensive, didn't have the funds. So I thought, well, I'll just start with my own. And so that's when I started looking into fostering and specifically youth. We have people who will foster they all want babies. They want young ones. And most people are afraid of teenagers. I am not. Okay. So that's why we decided fostering because we really wanted to help get them ready for the future. You know, people think the magic number age number is 18, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you know, if you haven't learned any life skills, 18 is just a number. So my husband and I really wanted to just help empower young people um, to live a successful life, whatever that looks like to them. Gotcha. And, and just to expand beyond the foster care, we definitely have a lot of people out there, unfortunately, who grow up with parents who are just not the best parents. And uh, you mentioned the other day, sometimes people just grow up in a household where the parents are so busy working that they can't do a whole lot of parenting. So yeah. although you have a background with the foster care, this, is, this conversation is about uh, many more people uh, and you've also done some work with uh, youth in the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was a life skills coach um, and mentor to those, to youth who are in the juvenile probation system. So I would go in once a week and do life skills, just practical life skills and making it fun. And then when they came out, then I would actually mentor them one-on-one, -on -one, meet with them once a week. and or however much is needed. And even with that population who have never made it into the foster care system, most of them were underparented for whatever reason. You know, there's no judgment on it. It's just life happens. And there are some whose parents have to work two and three, four jobs just to keep food on the table, you know, or some parents who are sick and aren't able to do it. So there are many, many, many reasons why young people or kids are 
underparented. It's not just that they're a drug addict or they're a bad parent. There are so many, many reasons why they become underparented, but the result is still the same. And so give us a few examples of the kind of life skills you would be teaching. Oh, so I teach, I take, teach basic things that we take for granted, like reasoning or um, is this a good choice or is this a, a bad choice? So how to make good choices, how to look past right now. One of my phrases is now is not forever because a lot of times our young people make decisions based on right now. You know, for instance, um, a, a young person may be hungry. So right now they're thinking, I'm hungry. I'm just going to go, you know, steal some chips and some soda from 7-Eleven, right? Uh-huh. Um, which kind of, you know, it's like, okay, you're hungry. You do what you got to do. However, let's think a little bit ahead. You know, what if I get caught? What's going to be my, my record? Um, and will I get a record? E- even more than that, I'll just use something else. Fighting, right? Um, someone says something bad about them and now they're ready to, you know, have a fight. One of the things I, I talk about is like, okay, so why does that make you so angry? Teaching them how to reason. Is it worth it? Is it worth getting in a fight because she called you a name? Is it worth going to juvenile hall? Is it worth all that? Um, I teach them budgeting. Ah, this is one of my favorite topics. Yes. Yes. what, What is your approach to teaching budgeting? So I'll just go with the kids that are in my home. Um, each month we just give them, you know, a little bit of money. And I created this very simple budget form and it says how much I have, you know, then it has toiletries, clothing or deodorant, different things like that. And with that money, they need to fill out a budget form. Um, and then, you know, whatever they have left from that budget, then they get to keep it and spend it. We also teach them about when they move out on their own, <laughs> when they have a home, then you have to pay for electricity. They have to pay for water. So my husband came up with this kind of creative idea because we had one girl who left the lights on in every room, everywhere. Everywhere she went, there was a light trail. <laughs> and so my husband said, okay, look, we, you know, turn off the lights. He told her plenty of times. So he said this, he goes, okay, we have a problem with the lights. So for each time I have to come back behind you and turn a light off, I'm going to deduct a dollar from your money that you get from your, your monthly allotment. Ah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I have never seen the lights turned off so quickly and so frequently ever. Okay. Ever. Well, now, now, as as I say that, I like that idea. I know that when my wife listens to this, she will be laughing because I leave lights on, and this is—I'm sure there's going to be a jar on the kitchen counter for me. Uh, but <laughs> it's a diff- different situation. I'm I'm in my mid forties. Uh, so when you when you get uh, a, a new foster kid in your house, how long does it take you to figure out sort of where they are in life? in terms of their skill set and their readiness to be adults? Not very long, okay. <laughs> not very long at all. Um, I try to get a lot of information that I can from the social worker, but for me within the first week, I do a lot of observing and it'll probably take me within the first week 
to kind of catch the major things, you know, um, decision-making, whether they have any decision-making, whether they even know how to make their way around the kitchen, whether they've ever done anything more than top ramen or something, excuse me, pop in the microwave. So those kind of things come up pretty quickly right away. The long-term stuff, the more emotional stuff will take a little bit of time. It kind of goes case by case. If a situation arises, I see their response and it's like, okay, we need to work on anger management. And a lot of homes, and I'm not dissing anybody or anything, but because my trade or my profession is a life coach, it's just something I just do naturally, right? And a lot of people don't. They provide care and love and everything like that. And that's not their focus, but that's my focus. I'm not, as long as they come through my house, at least give them a few skills to be able to get out the door and function. Okay. So you've, you've touched on this a little bit. I was doing some research before we recorded on some of the challenges of the underparented youth and uh, a couple that we can talk about. Obviously, um, unstable housing is an, is an issue. And obviously, the ones that come to you are in foster care. So that's unstable. But unfortunately, a lot of people have either bouncing back and forth between mom's place and dad's place or constantly moving or sort of a, even if you're with mom and dad, chronically homeless, that didn't happen to me. So I'm not really sure psychologically what that would do. Is there anything you can share with the audience? Trust is, is one of the things you see um, with that situation. Trust of people, trust of systems, just, yeah, people in, in, in general. And the whole independent thing, by that I mean, I don't trust you, so I'm gonna handle everything on my own. And when I handle everything on my own, um, I don't need anybody else. And that's a good trait to have, but it's also um, a very, you know, dangerous. It could lead down just some very crazy paths for them to not reach out for help where they might, even in foster care, not even want to be involved with the system anymore once they turn 18. Thank God now they have these different programs, um, AB12 um, and other programs for youth who age out, meaning that they turn 18, where in the past, like my mother fostered, when they turned 18, all financial assistance got cut off. My mom didn't, you know, buy into that. She kept them anyway. But now if they have a job or in school, they get an allotment of money. There's also help for them to find housing. The thing is, is they typically do not want to have anything to do with the system anymore. I can understand that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah so they didn't trust them. They didn't trust the system. They don't trust uh, the parent. They didn't trust this person or that person. So trust is very, very, very hard to build. It can happen. Yeah. And it can, and it can happen. I've done it, but it, it'll take a little bit of patience. So the whole trust thing. Um, the other thing I want to speak to is an attitude of entitlement that I see as well. That, you know, because they feel like, oh, you know, I've been dealt a bad hand. I deserve this. I deserve that. And, and I've seen it in kids come through in foster care because they've getting taken care of all the time. You know, they go out to lunch. Someone's going to pay for the lunch. If they, 
need this, you know, an organization will do that. So it kind of lends itself to, I'm the victim, everybody just cater to my needs. And that's how it's going to be. Okay. Um, what One of the things I, I teach when I work with parents is the difference between pity and empathy. Because empathy is, hey, I understand you. Pity is, oh, I feel so sorry for you. And when we start treating them with pity, that's when we start to enable them, when we start to cater to their needs, and they never learn. Well, as if we operate out of empathy, hey, I understand you've been dealt a bad hand. Okay, let's see how we're going to work through this. Let me help you teach you some skills and how to move forward. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And one of some of the other things that I, I worry about for, for young adults is one, uh, whether or not they have a good education, but then at some point, be it 18 or 19 or whatever, you're going to need a job, which means you're going to need some skills and you're going to need a work ethic. So have you been able to instill a work ethic in a teenager? I have. I know. Oh. Miracles do happen. <laughs> <laughs> miracles, miracles do happen. I have a, I had a young lady that I worked with while she was in the juvenile probation system. So about five years ago, and we would talk about work all the time. She would have a little job and, you know, she would be like, oh, I'm not going to work today. I was like, oh yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Get in the car. We're going to work. And we would talk about, you know, your reputation with, because with youth, they're so keen on the reputation with their peers that they forget that the peer is not going to write them a, a reference for their next job. Uh, their yeah. peer is not going to give them a check. So I try to tell them, look, you want your employer to trust you. Your peers, they're going to kick you to the curb in about a year or two, but your employer will write you a reference, good or bad. So I, I instill those things. And the one lady I'm thinking of now, I ran into her about two, three months ago, and she was working at a grocery store. And she walked up to me and she was, I didn't recognize her because she was 16. Then now she's 21. And the note, she, she gave me a note later on and she said, everything we talked about, about um, work, things we talked about God, things we talked about life and making choices. She said, I didn't hear it then, but I use it all right now. So even though we're sharing and they're kind of looking at you like whatever, yeah. it's going in. It's getting in there. It'll fall through a crack in their brain somewhere. <laughs> They'll get it. Yeah, every episode I do is just about planting seeds that yeah, hopefully sprout at the right time. And so I guess you've dealt with obviously plenty of teens who have come through some kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. And what does that range from, I guess, physical, sexual abuse? Yeah, all of it. I would add the housing instability is a form of trauma for a young person. And absolutely. How do you? How do you deal with that? Youth by youth, you know, there are some that handle trauma like a champ, like for whatever reason, even being underparented, there was something that <laughs> the way they were wired that they're able to actually be functioning, not that they're perfect, but they can reason it, work through it and keep moving forward. There are some that are just stuck. And all I can do really is be where they are. 
if there are resources that they have, if they have a therapist, if they have a counselor or social worker, say in the foster realm, then I stay in contact with them. But actually just being where they are and trying to move one step at a time. And sometimes they're just resistant to moving because traumas can become comfortable, right? They've lived like this. They've lived in fear. They've lived this way. All of these emotions seem are so familiar that it's hard to move forward. But once they gain that trust in that person, once they begin to see, hey, I'm not just a project, but I that they actually care, the walls of trauma will start to come down. And then you can be able to speak into their lives and say, hey, you know what, let's maybe talk to some professional. Let's maybe go to another person or different things like that. So really just being where they are, loving them where they are and not where we want them to be is really key with kids in trauma. Yeah, and and that's, you know, depending on whether you, anyone out there is going to be perhaps the manager of somebody from this kind of background or the friend of someone from this kind of background, it's good to understand that so that you have a better perspective on, as you say, meeting them where they are and knowing that the way they communicate is not going to be the same as necessarily what's familiar to you. Now, one one issue I have with teenagers in my limited interaction right now is a lot of them have really poor communication skills. And, and yeah. the audience couldn't hear you laugh. Oh, now they can hear you laugh. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm laughing now. Oh, yeah. Poor, yes, a lot. <laughs> and, and one of the things that I firmly believe is you're not going to be a successful adult unless you can communicate. And that's with more than one audience in more than one way. Yeah. So what have absolutely. you learned on that front? Oh, so most of the youth that I work with, profanity is just part of the language. It's like saying, uh, and the, you know, it's like, yeah. you know, dropping an F-bomb is, I mean, it doesn't even phase them. Like it just rolls off the tongue. And so when I work with them and they're in my car, we talk about respect. And I, and I say, you know, what does respect look like to you? And I said, respect looks like this to me, you know? And for me, I go, respect looks at you choosing your words when you're around me. And I said, and it's not just for me. It's when you get an employer. It's when you go um, to college. It's when you have to give a speech. And if you can't you make a sentence without the F word, we have a problem. Seriously. Yeah. If you can't, you know, shut the F up. If you can't say, stop talking to me at, or could you please, you know, leave me alone or use it in that terms, we have a problem. So I spent a lot of time telling them, I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. So when you drop the F-bomb with me, I'm going to make you rephrase that sentence. Uh-huh. When you use a, when you use profanity, I'm going to say, stop. You need to change it. And even in, in expressing anger or frustration, all of those things, it, for me, I am constantly saying, stop. Okay, you're frustrated. I cannot hear you when you're screaming at me. And I know you want me to hear you. So in order for me to hear you, I need you to not yell. So can you tell me without yelling or just talk 
and I can try to pick out what you're saying. If we look at young people as still growing and maturing instead of already there, uh-huh. then we can start to speak into their lives and start the, I guess, training process, so to speak, because we think that kids should automatically know how to communicate, should automatically know how to express their feelings when adults don't even know how to do it. That is true. And I would like to add to that, that uh, listening is probably more than half of communicating. A lot oh. of people think it's speaking. Nope. I, I do a workshop called The Art of Listening. And it's really the number one way to communicate with teens. And I just talk about listening and we do exercises around listening. I get more information from young people than I really care to because they, they tell me a lot of stuff. <laughs> they tell me a lot of stuff. And some of them like, okay, don't tell me because if you tell me, then I'm going to have to tell somebody. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, like like your probation officer, yeah. you know. Please don't tell me you smoked a joint last night. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Then I'll have to tell your probation officer. So how about, you know, but to me, that's just a sign of trust. They want to they want to be heard all day long. The teachers are telling them what to do. Their parents are telling them what to do. The probation officers telling them what to do. Their social workers telling them what to do. Social media is telling them what to do. Everybody's telling them what to do, but they're rarely heard. So if we learn to listen without judgment, listen without trying to fix it, listen to understand, if we can listen in those three ways, then we are really opening the door for trust and for better communication. Yeah, that's well, and and gosh, that applies to any age. That is not young adults, for sure. And if you were to get, let's say you were to get a new foster uh, kid in your life, age 17, barely making it through school, where do you want to point them to be at age 25? And this is something that I think a lot of young people struggle with is like, what should I do? And if your parents aren't around or your parents have just never really been that successful, they're not necessarily giving you an example of where to go. So that's an interesting question uh, for a couple of reasons. Now, if you're talking about kids with trauma, yeah, it's a whole different ballgame. Okay. Because typically kids with Trauma, don't dream. Oh, kids, kids who are experiencing trauma, um, a, a lot of trauma, they don't look past today. Okay. So for for those kids, it would be, hey, let's do stuff for today. And over time, as trust is built, as they're being healed emotionally then we can start to move forward into next month or the next year. But typically kids who've experienced a lot of trauma because they're already, they're always in survival mode. Yes. Okay. I understand. So with those kids, it's a day by day thing. It's a, it's a, Hey, let's learn or let's talk about getting your homework assignment in on time. Let's talk about only cussing your teacher out twice this week instead of 20 times. 
you know? So those kind of things are the goals that we can set for kids experiencing trauma and that are severely underparented. Okay. With other kids, it's still the same. At 17, it's still, let's shoot for 18. Where do you want to be when you turn 18? And then those skills of, okay, let's see, you want to have a job. You want to start paying for your car. Okay, let's see what we need to do to do those things. So if I just um, give them those skills, then they can take that when they turn 18 and use it for 19 or 22 or 25. So basically with teens, I, I really just try to get them to go one year. Now, if they come from a healthy home, then that's a whole different ball game again. Okay. Hey, they don't have to worry about surviving. They don't have to worry about these things that underparented kids do. So we can we can reach for the stars right away. Okay. And are are you? I, I understand what you're saying about it. it takes a long time to put somebody on a new path. But are you oh, generally yeah. hoping that they will go into a trade, end up in college, join the military? Like yes, yes. Uh, one of the things I say is not everybody's cut out for college. Yep. And if you don't want to go to college, then you better learn something, right? You either better learn, you know, some computer skills or whatever it is. Even if you don't go to college, learn a trade. Be good at something so that you'll be able to not depend on the system, which they hate. But I, I just... I try to relieve the pressure of college and instill the need for a trade or a skill. Yeah, actually, you just reminded me of uh, Bob Houston, one of my favorite high school teachers, um, who was my math teacher. Uh, he used to say, nobody's going to pay you to solve a problem that has already been solved. And by yeah. that, he meant develop problem-solving skills. And there that, you go. And those can be medical skills. It could be different ways of recording music. It's not necessarily all math and science, but you, the more problems you can solve for the world, the more you have to offer, thus the more value you have. Absolutely. If the only Absolutely. problem you can solve is putting groceries in a plastic bag, then right. there's an upper limit to how far that's going to take you. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I'm a huge fan of, uh, although I did go straight from high school to college, I'm a huge fan of uh, people looking at the trades like plumbing, electrical, Oh, for sure. Because they're, well, they pay very well, but you can get in right at 18, start your training. And if you have any kind of hustle at all, you can make quite a good living. Right. Yeah. And uh, same, there there are some very good skills to be learned in the military if that's an option for, mm -hmm. for some people. Okay. And what, thinking now, just, I, I want the audience to understand a little, you've said quite a bit about foster care, but if you could fix one thing about the foster care system, what would it be? Oh boy. One thing about the foster care system. It can be three. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> okay. You know, I think that it would be to make it mandatory and not because I have a course because make it mandatory for everyone who wants to be a resource parent to take a course on fostering teenagers. Okay. Absolutely. Because it's the hardest population to place. Yeah. My husband and I only do teenagers because I love them 
and for that reason. And people don't want to take teens because they're afraid because of the stigma. I'm, I'm just grateful that our county where I live has seen the value. So once a, every time there's a rotation of new foster parents, they have to take my course on fostering teens before they get their license. And I think if every county would do that, we would see an increase of homes willing to take teens. We would see teens staying longer because they, because they, the homes don't understand the mentality of a teenager. They're like, oh, this is not working after two months. Yeah. And they're going to another home. Well, in the foster care world, two months is equal to one week, <laughs> literally, in getting to know the child and working with them. So that's one thing. I, there's needs to be more education around working with young people. Gotcha. That's that that to me that that's huge. And because that will open the door for more homes. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And another another thing we, we did not talk about this, but I was uh, in researching the challenges of the underparented today. Uh, one of the things that occurred to me is that if you're shuffle, even if you grow up with mom and dad, but they're not great parents, uh, or if you're in the foster care system, you don't have much of a network of people to rely on in life. And networking is it's a, a myriad of things uh, to, but it can be simply, you know, like my mom's coworker helped me find a job or, you know, my, right. my dad was able to introduce me to somebody who could fix my car that I could trust. And right. I would imagine that most of the people you've dealt with wouldn't know who to turn to for anything. Correct. That is absolutely correct. And, and that's the hard thing. And, and here's what I want to say with that. We need more people. We need more people to invest in our young people. And whether that means you can go to juvenile services and say, hey, how can I, how can I help these young people? Or you go to like your foster care agency and say, hey, how can I help young people? Or you go to your church or synagogue and because there's there's young people everywhere, yep. right? More and or, more every day. <laughs> right? You go, you see a friend of yours who has a teenager. How can I help? How can I get involved? Or you know or see a struggling family. How can I get involved? There's a teenager on every corner, every mall. And I and just simple things. And I'll say this, simple things that make them feel seen. Like sometimes I'll be sitting at the coffee shop and a teenager will be walking by and, you know, they're just laughing and everything. I was like, dude, those dreads are off the chain. Those are amazing. Who did your dreads, right? And he, they're, they're getting shocked. They're like, oh, they see me. Oh. oh, wow. You know, and even in that, and then I just strike up a conversation. So what do you, you know, what grade are you in? You know, after they figure, finally figure out I'm not a creeper, but if you just show a, a, an interest in them, it doesn't have to be, hey, come let me change your life. It could be, ah, that's awesome. I see you. I see that style. I see your hair because I see this. 
that's that's a big step. And it might open the door for, oh, hey, you know what? Look, if you're ever interested in a job, here's my card. If you're ever interested in this, here's that. But there's a teenager. You can just open your eyes and find a teenager. Yes. And go to just go to agencies that work with teens and say, I want to help. Great suggestion. Okay. Well, that covers all of the topics I had for us today, with the exception of my final question for you. I ask everybody, thinking across the spectrum of all things in the adult world, what is something you wish you had figured out before you turned 25? Oh, I wish I figured out what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> I am still very much working on that. Tell me more. <laughs> you know, I, I wish I figured out my skills, my my gifts and talents. I had a I was not underparented at all, but that was still never an option for that was never a question never asked, except when you're little, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. You know, yeah, I want to be a ballerina, I want to be a this, right? Yeah. But I never had anyone to sit with me and let's discover my skills, let's discover your talents and abilities. Let's discover what you're good at. You have great intuition. I wish someone had done that to me and I had learned that. Then I could take the next 10 or so years to try to figure out what that's going to look like. Yeah. And there's another, there's a way that I, I heard maybe in the past year to phrase that to a young person, which is not what do you want to be, but to rather say, what problem do you want to solve? Yes, absolutely. That love fundamentally that. changes what you prepare yourself to do. I love that. That is so good. But as absolutely. far as I can tell, talking to you, Alicia, you have applied your skill set exactly where it needs to be. So congratulations, yeah. you got there. Thank you. Woo! All right. And thank you so much <laughs> for your time. Uh, this was a great episode. Awesome. That concludes today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any follow-up questions, you can email me at askjimkta at gmail.com or for more information, check out kitchentableadulting.com. 